1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Paracel podcast. On a Monday, we got a recap yet another historic loss for the USC Trojans in the Coliseum, 42-26 falling at the hands of the Utah YouTuber We're going to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde, about this latest loss for the Trojans, the third in a row in the Coliseum. If you have any questions or comments for the show, you can always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call us or text us at 424 424- 254-9141. That is the number. If you have the Apple Podcasting app, please leave us a five-star rating and a kind of review. If you have questions, comments, feedback, you can leave that in the review as well. But we really appreciate that because it helps to grow the show. And the way we grow the show is by talking about some interesting USC football stuff. I don't know how interesting it is, Coach, but we're we're doing it. We have the Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Maybe interesting is the right word. I, I don't know. This is just, it's, uh, it seems like they're just playing out the string, but I wanted to get your thoughts coach, but welcome in anyway, before we uh, talk about this crazy loss.
2: Uh, Brian, thank you very much. Uh, well, a loss is a loss and a win is a win. And sometimes, uh, you complain about winning ugly, but it's better to win ugly than to lose. And uh, I think that's what everybody is, uh, upset about. And, uh, and, you know, you have a right to. You expect more at USC. And and as you mentioned, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, dates that are being thrown out, 1960, the last time Oregon State won in the Coliseum, 1916, the last time Utah won in the Coliseum or Southern California or whatever. I mean, these things all add to the misery that everybody's going through. So let's talk about uh, what's going on and answer the questions, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, adding to the misery. I think that's a good way uh, to put this. USC fans, there's a lot of misery right now, and just don't really know uh, what to expect. We got we got a lot of questions kind of dealing with the game. We can get into that, but just in general, like high level stuff. You know, those three losses in the Coliseum just blowouts. You know, and they were all fairly similar. Where USC is completely out of the game. Uh, I think it was. Stanford game, USC was down 29 in the fourth quarter. Oregon State, USC was down 25 in the fourth quarter. And Utah also down 25 in the fourth quarter. Um, Just really getting blown out. Maybe score some garbage points at the end. Do you see a team, I know there's a lot of turmoil. The Stanford game, Clay Hilton was around. The other two were interim head coach Dante Williams. Does there look like this team has quit? Is there some kind of, there's some kind of pattern you're seeing here from these blowout losses at home.
2: Well, I don't know if the team has quit. I think the team has gone through a, uh, emotional period of time with COVID and everything else. And the coaching change and, uh, the change in a lot of the procedures that they've had to go through. And they haven't really seen a lot of things absolutely improve because of it. And, uh, I know that they're, They're thinking, uh, as everyone else is, just let's get this over, because they know that basically there's going to be next, you know, new coaches and and all of the above, and they read the papers, they listen to the radio, they uh, take, you know, listen to these services that are out there as far as for them to, and it's all about them and about the football program, and I'm sure they're not walking around campus with their head up and and proud of what's going on, and uh, they're young kids, and it's a difficult situation for them. It's just a difficult situation. You see players come out and not be together, sit at different spots, and some players come out and work out with the team and warm-ups, and then go back in and get dressed, and, you know, all of these different things that are happening, and and you see players that are from you know, Southern California and everywhere else. And you see another group of players that are a big group of players from Texas. And you just wonder how united the team is. You hope the team is united. You want the team to be united. You want them to have a great college experience. But it's just not a good experience. Let's just face it. Right now, it's not a good experience for them as it is for football fans or the people at UNLV. Or not UNLV. USC as far as what they're experiencing currently right now. And uh, and it certainly it has to affect them. It has to affect them. It has to affect the coaches because the coaches are looking at their future and what they're going to be doing. And in a few months, they're going to be looking for a job in most cases. So I think their number one priority probably right now is not only the football program and the kids, but their families. And how they're going to have to relocate and who's – but most of them are thinking they're not going to be back, and I don't know how many people think they're going to be back as far as in the overall athletic department under football. It's all a, depending what the philosophy of the university will is. Uh, what is the real philosophy of USC as far as what they want in a football program or an athletic program? You have a former great player that's going to College Football Hall of Fame on Saturday, Carson Palmer. They're receiving uh, recognition for that. And you see Mike Boone, the athletic director, out there, but you don't see the college president out there. I don't know what type of endorsement that means. I mean, you have one of the highest levels that can happen in college football for one of your uh, past players and the college president even there. I mean, is she not there because of worried about the booze? Or is she worried about not or does, doesn't she care or think that's important? She'd rather be at a spelling bee or whatever. Uh, these are the little of the indications that people see and I look for as far as seeing what's important to an administration, what's important uh, to certain people that are leading the program to set examples for coaches who are looking at the possible position and the people that are in the current positions. And I don't see that currently. I hear a lot of talk and stuff. But remember, every time a job opens, like if LSU opens, or if Miami opens, or one of these other big jobs open, that's one of the candidates that USC would have that's being eliminated. You take Urban Meyer, he's eliminated. You, think Jonathan, you take Jonathan Smith now, since he lost to Washington State, he's eliminated. You take Mario Cristobal, yeah, Ball, Yeah, at Oregon. Well, you know, he'd probably rather go back down to the south where he's from, Miami, or one of those schools, if that opens. So what happens to USC's football program? and Where are your candidates? Who are your candidates? Who is selecting, and is the person selecting whoever the next football coach is, capable of doing that is it the college president is it who is it that's helping or making these decisions to see that this because this decision is the make or break usc trojan football because the generations changes are going on a lot of the kids now don't remember pete carroll wouldn't recognize pete carroll that's part of the past and when pete carroll's was interviewed, and was in the Los Angeles Times today, he said he didn't even know anybody down at USC anymore. And that's what I've been talking about. You've heard me say that. When Carson Palmer ran on the field to bring the team out, who did he know there that was on the sideline? He ran over and hugged uh, the trainer, Russ Romano. That's all the only person he knew. And where was all the supporting cast of ex-players that played with Carson Palmer. I don't know. They they don't want to be a part of the program. They don't want to be there. These are all the things that are in my mind as far as me looking at the future of USC Trojan football. It's got to be done right and it's got to be done quickly. Otherwise, that great tradition and the White Horse and all of the things that were known for USC Trojans, their football program, is going to be. On because the generation that remembers it are dying off and they're not contributing and they are not wanting to be a part of the program like it used to be. And you can see that in attendance, support, and everything else.
1: Hey, Coach, uh, good opening rant there. Speaking, yeah, um, speaking of travelers, I wanted to give a shout out to the traveler crew, uh, Joanne. Uh, brought back, uh, brought traveler over to our tailgate. Uh, we had a tailgate at on Christmas Tree Lane in front of the game. That was a fun. One thanks to everyone that came out for that. Thanks again to Trader Joe's. They provided a ton of snacks and drinks and stuff for everybody. So Trader Joe's has been uh, been great to us. But it's fun to see everyone out there. People are asking for you, Coach. So it's a second time in a row where the game didn't go so well, but the we had a good time before <laughs> before the game at the the tailgate. But it was great. The Traveler crew came out. And uh, took pictures with lots of people. People were just like, kind of lined up and came over and and got their photos. Uh, so that was a, a cool experience.
2: I think that's neat. Joanne's a great person. And I'll tell you what, again, that uh, traveler himself, you know, how much do they utilize him now? I mean, is he the main focus uh, with these young kids? Do they know the history of traveler? Do they know all of that? Uh these are the things that the young students are now attending USC along with people of the past. I mean, you've got to maintain this or it goes away. So uh, I'm glad to see you're doing that. And uh, I'm glad you're uh, the people that are coming to the tailgates uh, are enjoying themselves, Ryan. That's nice of you. We'll
1: have to get you out there for one of these coach. Uh, Yeah. Two two points you mentioned, I want to touch on before we get into um, questions when you were talking about the coaches uh, this is you know sort of unprecedented when you have interim head coach and all these coaches sort of like in limbo, players in limbo for ten games. You know sometimes it happens at the end of a season. Obviously, this is the third time USC's done this since you know 2013, having an interim head coach. Um, what are the coaches' priorities? Like you mentioned, their families for sure. Uh, but in my mind, if you're like you know people are being critical of Todd Orlando or Graham Harrell. I I don't feel like coaches would – It's in. it behooves them to mail it in. I mean, they're really – even if they know they're not going to be back or they really strongly think they're not going to be back, they're still building their resume for whatever the next job is, right? Like, I I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's any reason that a coach would just sort of be like, "Ah, I'm just going to just go through the motions because I'm not going to be here next year.
2: No, I, I wasn't uh, meaning that. I was meaning, though, the first call of every day is for that coach. And if you if you think I'm kidding you, you're, you're wrong. Uh, uh, every coach is worried about first thing is family first. I want you to know that and what's happening to our family. Not that he's going to give up on the program and the kids. He's going to coach the hell out of the kids. He's going to do everything he can do. He's not going to quit. I'm not telling you he's going to quit, but he's realistic to know he's got to find a new job. Because he knows he's, he's not going to be around there with the new head football coach. And uh, that's something you have to be realistic. And if you're in this business, you understand that in this business as far as coaching, that they pay me well for what I do. I love what I do. But if we don't perform and we don't get it done, it's part of the job. Uh, if you haven't been a coach, you haven't been fired. So, uh, you know. Uh, this is exactly what's going on. They're, they're not going to quit. They're going to coach the heck out of the kids, and they love the kids. Don't get me wrong. But they also love the family, and they're going to have to find and decide what's exactly the future for them and their families.
1: Yeah. So if you haven't been fired, that means you haven't been a coach. <laughs> is, that, is that right? <laughs> That's right. Um, and then the other the other aspect I wanted to bring up is uh, for the, the players, it's a long stretch. You change... You know, Dante Williams is trying to change the culture. I think um Keaton Slovis talked about this after one of the the losses where you know it takes time. I think it was after the Oregon State law. You know, you can't just change the culture overnight. And, you know, to be fair, what are you really gonna do when you're thrust into the middle of it? I think that's a lot of that's built in the off season. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but can you know the extra discipline? Uh, can the change of you know routine that you signed up for as a player, you kind of knew what your routine was. Tati Williams comes in and tries to change it. He changed the pregame routine for Fridays before the game. Obviously, that didn't have much of an impact. Um, I think the players want to win, but to sometimes can that, that discipline wear a little thin and it change a little thin. Like this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for the Clay Helton experience, and I'm getting the Dante Williams experience, and maybe he's doing it better and maybe he's giving us a better chance to win, but I was used to doing it this way. I don't really want to do it this way. Um, Do you think that that can kind of creep into players' minds? Right. Definitely
2: it does. Definitely it does because you're doing things differently and you're not having success for it, like I mentioned on the opening part of the segment. Now, during the football game, Every time there was a penalty, do you think the players were thinking about, well, I got to go back on Tuesday now and do a gasser for that? And <laughs> accidentally, well, I've got two gassers to do now. So obviously, some of the things that Dante Williams is doing isn't going to work because you're going to have penalties every week. So those kids don't, uh, you know, they, they're being punished for something that they have no control over. And if an official calls a penalty, that costs everybody on the team, the trainers, the coaches, and everybody who might be at practice. If I was there, I'd probably have to do it too. Gassers and run and up and downs and all of that. that you know, that's Pop Warner stuff, okay? That, that's not college. These are adults, college, that are playing college football. Some of the penalties aren't even called up properly, and you're going to punish the kids for them, okay? Some of the kids that are targeting are already being punished, so, you know, those are the things that are the changes that don't make a difference. So, uh, you know, you don't do that. You do things like, like some of the things that he's making the changes are are good for the program because the new head football coach is going to demand some of these things, too. So you might as well get used to it. But some of the things have been let go so badly that I just wonder who's in control of seeing all of this overlooking all of this, did not see some of these things happening. I mean, as far as, you know, being late to meetings and, you know, all the different things that, that they've been talking about, they had to change. But again, Dante's can only change so much. Because all these little things don't make a difference of what's happening on the field. The kids can show to every meeting. The kids can be on time and everything they do, they can clean the locker room. They can get A's in all their classes. But when they go on the field, if they're not getting the right teaching and the right game plans and the right positioning to take advantage of, how are you gonna pass the test? If the teacher in the classroom isn't teaching you the proper uh, answers to the test, how are you gonna pass the test? So right now I've been lecturing now for the last several years about certain things that need to be done and incorporated into offenses and defenses and and so on and it's been overlooked and now I'm just trying a different approach to try to explain to everybody that you can't win without the complete package or take advantage of your personnel and put them in the right position where they can be successful. You can't throw the football 15 times a game to one guy when everybody stands and watches? How do they feel like they're even part of the team? I mean, that one guy is a great player. Don't get me wrong. But you've got to be able to make it a team. You've got to be able to do it all. You've got to be able to run the football, not because I'm saying run the football or you're saying run the football or the media is writing articles saying they're not running the football. It's because the coordinator believes you should run the football. And you should have running series that blend together and you should protect your quarterback more rather than let him get his head knocked off all the time by moving the pocket and letting him roll out and bootleg passes and counters and sweeps and different things. And you should be helping the defense because they don't have a clue how to stop an option on the goal line. They don't have a clue how to stop an eye or a center going under, uh, a quarterback going under center. Why? No one's worked on it. I mean, when Steele bit for that and the guy at the tight end just took a little step to the inside and went for the corner, it's wide open. He's never seen that. You know, these are the things I'm talking about. When a coordinator makes a statement, we don't do that.
1: What do you mean you don't
2: do that? You do what's the best for the football team in order to win, you do whatever's necessary to win, you correct the red zone, you do the different things you have to do. You know it's not working. So, you know, it's a big picture you're looking at. So Coach Dante Williams can only do so much. But he doesn't control the minds now of the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator. And now everybody's picking on the secondary, which they did pick on in this game. They picked on a certain player in this game because they worked and looked at him and see what he can do and what he can't do and how to beat him. And they did that, and that's what you call matchups. And they did that very well. And the defensive philosophy of Utah was give him 20 catches if he wants to catch 20 passes, as far as Drake Lennon. Let him catch the ball 50 times, because that means there's 10 other players that aren't in the game. So we'll let him have their 5 yards, their 8 yards, their 10 yards. Eventually he'll screw it up eventually it'll be third down at 10 or whatever and they're getting a the red zone and they're not going to score and that's exactly what the philosophy is let him catch 30 passes but you got to allow your other players to be in the game so that's just my answer and i'm sorry i ran off at the mouth so much
1: no that's okay coach well we got a lot of questions we'll try to get through them uh, as quickly as we can because we got a bunch we want to get to everybody take a quick break and we'll be right back with your questions Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data
3: rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: The chilling new original docuseries on
0: Paramount Plus.
4: Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the
0: ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve dollars and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And
1: obsession
0: leads to murder.
4: Who did this to your family?
1: You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Why don't we start with a voicemail, Coach? Here you go.
3: Ryan, Coach Hyde, how are you? Frank are from the East Coast. Well, it's Groundhog Day again, boys. And I look at a game like this. It's, it's the micro and the macro. On the micro side, you got Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pointing stuff out right away. Ian Slobus locking the receivers are saying these are, these guys are running the same plays sets so as the Stanford game. Surely the coaches must have watched the film, poor tackling. It's the same thing. These guys can see it up in the booth. How come our guys can't see it on the field? Or they can They just can't execute it. And then the bigger picture is, you're watching some of the games yesterday. The, the atmosphere at Iowa was incredible. Texas A&M, incredible. Even Nebraska, Incredible. I turn on a USC game, it's like people know there's a game.
1: It looked like at least
3: a third of the stadium was empty, maybe 40%. And, you know, when you watch those other schools, you're like, football is the big thing. This is the big thing on campus. And the USC, it's just, I don't know. It looked like there was a stay-at-home order in L.A. County, from my view. And maybe they were just staying at home, not for coronavirus worries, but just watching bad football. Oh, well, fight on. At some point, there'll be better times ahead. Take care, guys.
1: Uh, Real quick before you jump in coach. um, Yeah, there was actually a a LA County mandate. So to get into the stadium, you had to show proof of vaccination or uh, negative tests within 72 hours if you're over 12 years old. So there was definitely more restrictions uh, placed on that. So you're not seeing those at other places. That's not that that's the main reason why people weren't coming, obviously the product on the field and having an interim head coach and all that. But it just, I think that's one that added to it coach.
2: Well, it could add to it. You know, uh, you don't see it uh, make a difference at SoFi. You don't see it make a difference there in L.A. County. It's the product that's on the field. It's the product that's on the field and the entertainment that goes on the field. And you want to leave somewhere being happy and excited about being there and giving your time as far as the hours that it takes you to get there, get in the event. You want to be excited about leaving. You don't want to think about leaving early. And look at the people. They're leaving early. They're leaving early. And... Uh, and, then, and that shows you uh, their dissatisfaction of what's going on. So people will come to events that are exciting and what they want to do and spend their time at doing. So, you know, that, that's, that's what it's all about. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a shame that a great program like this has gotten to this point. And, and uh, if it isn't taken care of, it's like anything else. If you catch something soon enough, you can save someone's life. But if you don't catch it soon enough and you don't have the right doctor to repair it, that's liable to be terminal. So I think that's right now the position they're in.
1: All right, Coach, uh, why don't we go to a text message. Uh, This is from Rick in Lakewood. He's a USC band alum. Um, He says, hey, Ryan and crew, Rick from Lakewood, USC didn't play too bad this game, and that's not the reason – I'm texting. I'm texting about the future. I'm calling it now. Mike Bone is going to hire Luke Fickle for beating Notre Dame. And for this, I will continue to not support USC football. The only way I'll support the team is if they hire Urban Meyer or James Franklin. Anyway, thanks for all you do. I'll continue to support you and your crew for all the awesome content you provide. Good night and fight on, Rick from Lakewood. It's funny, Coach. Like None of us know who's going to be the right coach. But there are fans that are just like drawing their – I mean, I've had so many fans tell me – I'm never supporting the team if they hire James Franklin. Rick is saying they're never going to support the team if they hire Luke Fickle, but I will if they support the hire James Franklin. It's funny. I I mean I don't know who's going to be the great coach. You you have ideas, but some people just seem to have really strong ideas of who that has to be. And if it's not that person that I want, then I'm out.
2: Well, I think you have to be, have to be open-minded. You have to see who's available. First of all, who's really interested? Who fits what the SC administration wants, and all of the above, and who acts like a Trojan and isn't a wine or cheese guy, but a guy that's a real person, a real person who loves to be around people, loves to be it's sincere when he says fight on, and you know he does, and he's the type of guy that, you know, that would fight for what the Trojans are, or the type of guy you go down the alley with and a uh, type of guy that knows the difference between right and wrong and how to take care of kids and love kids and motivate kids and and somebody, too, uh, with discipline that you as a parent would want your child to play under because of his standards and what he believes in, and not only on the field but off the field, the complete package. And who is that person? I don't know. Pete Carroll was fired when he came to USC. Now, a lot of people didn't like that selection. I, I can tell you that right now. They're all over Mike Garrett for that selection. But it worked out. It worked out tremendously. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, when John McKay came from Oregon, a lot of people, who was John McKay? Uh, he came from Oregon and became the head coach at USC. And John Robinson took his job. And a lot of people thought Mark Levy should have been the head football coach. Rather than John Robinson there was a lot of discussion there and at one time Riley the Charger coach was going to be the the USC coach and then uh, he turned around on the freeway and went back I forget why there was some call made to him I can't remember specifically what it was where I think it was uh, Spanos calling him telling him if you don't get the job you're fired here or something like that so he made a U turn on the 405 and went back to San Diego So you know You don't know who the right person is, but that's the responsibility of the university to have capable people in a capable position to know what USC needs, what they need to stop the bleeding, what they need to reunite Uh, the Trojan family, uh, the administration with the athletic department and the boosters and the alumni and the students. And uh, want student athletes to attend USC, not go somewhere else. And uh, this is somebody that uh, they have to do. I don't get paid to do that. Uh, I would I would have my, you know, uh, choices of who I think could get it done. But how do I know? Because I don't really know what they want. And if you're the right football coach and uh, you're in demand uh, to go to a program such as USC and other schools want you, you have your choices. You want to make sure where you go, they want what you want. I mean, I've gone to a place before where they said they wanted all those things, and when I got there, I wish I hadn't got there. It was all just part of an interview, and when I got there, I said, "Well, where is this and where is that? No, we'll get to that. Uh, Oh, yeah, when? By that time, I'll be fired. So, you know, it's uh, sincerity and it's loyalty and it's belief. The finances are there. And, you know, before when they said, oh, we couldn't get rid of Clay Health. it's going to cost us a lot of dollars. Hey, why? What do you worry about that? Look what it's costing you now. I mean, you know, I mean, you put off what you know is you have to do. So now you have to do something. To, don't put it off. Do it as soon as you can and don't be cheap about it. because it's the future of your university and the future of the alumni and the future of the spirit of Troy.
1: All right, let's go to another voicemail coach. Here you go.
0: Hey, Robin Yakai, I just wanted to make a comment about the state of USC's losses and the three historic losses in the Coliseum. I just wanted to point out that the teams that USC lost to Oregon State, Utah, and Stanford also scored their highest point total out of all the games this season when they played USC. So that just goes to show you the state of the USC team. When you have a Stanford team scoring the most points so far out of six games, and then Oregon State and Utah all reaching their highest point total. I think maybe one team tied the point total, but all three of those teams either tied or exceeded their point total against USC. So anyway, fight on. I just wanted to make that point. Thanks. Bye.
2: Well, thank you very much for your point. You know, and I'll make a point, since uh, you made a point, I'll make a point in how many of the schools that USC lost to had a better recruiting year over the last five years than USC? As far as the services are concerned, the five stars, four stars, all of that, all the great players, Gatorade player of the year. How many of those schools had a Gatorade player of the year? Or any of that type of recruitment? Yeah none that I know of. So either the services are screwed up or something's going wrong with the program. So uh, that's just one way to evaluate it too.
1: No, that's a good point coach. It's yeah, that USC, um, like we mentioned before, I mean, you're, you're talking about down four scores in the, in the fourth quarter, like three, three games in a row. There's something seriously wrong there, obviously. Uh, but thank you for that uh, voicemail. Um, Brendan in Tech in Kansas wrote in, Coach, I want to start with this statement. So many fans seem to have forgotten that the last six years have accumulated to the point we are now. Dante is just beginning to lay a foundation and try to break habits that have been a part of this team for the last six or more years. To me, this looks like what an accumulation of declining recruiting classes, lack of development, arrogant coordinators who are over their head, and lastly, uh, disciplined players. My question is, um, do you think this season will ultimately hurt Dante's recruiting going forward, whether he's retained by a new coach or let go? I know with Coach O, he still is a great recruiter, and his, quote, failure at Ole Miss never really affected his recruiting efforts in the long run. Thanks, Brennan in Texas.
2: No, I think that this is a great experience for Dante Williams, as far as a young coach, of knowing what it's like to sit in the big desk. I've always talked. You can be a great assistant coach, but that doesn't make you a great head coach. Okay, gives you great experience. I know so many head coaches who uh, weren't great assistant coaches, but were smart enough to put great coaches around him and surround him with great coaches, people that knew more about him in every area. That's why he was good. So you know, I think it's a it's it's a very difficult thing to be a head football coach. Some can do it. Some can't. Some have never even played the game of football hardly. They were a backup. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, they're uh, a star defensive coordinator or head football coach in the Big 12 or whatever I know, several of those coaches who got hurt in high school and uh, just wanted to be a part of a program and started at you know smaller schools and worked their way up and and never was a star, never played, never started, never played Division One college football and their head football coaches in, Power five conferences. That doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to be an all American to be a great football coach. You got to have a brain and know how to work with people and understand what it takes to build a multi million dollar corporation that the whole nation knows who you are by name recognition. Not because you're smart, but because you're a football coach and people love football. Maybe you get the identity of the national television and networks that are out there and so on. So a lot of professors and Nobel Prize winners, I don't know who they are, but I know who a football coach is. I don't know the college presidents. I used this before. I don't know the college president's name at Alabama. I happen to know the college name, president's name at, at USC because USC I just happen to know, but I've never met or cared to. It's no big deal to me. But the football program is a big deal for me because that's where my interest is. I don't need to have rubbed shoulders, because her job is to raise funds, and do whatever that is. And that's not where my interest is. My interest would be was do you support what we do here? So you know, it depends what you like and who you like to run around with and what you like to be associated with. But I tell you, without the pride in the university, and the pride starts with your extracurricular activities, your band. Your football team, uh, the things students rally around, parents rally around, alumni rally around, fraternities rally around. It all starts with that. Great debate teams, great, all the great academic areas, the whole thing. That makes it the complete package. So USC has that opportunity of making a, a complete package. A lot of schools don't have that opportunity, but USC does have one. So if they let that get away from them, uh, then... Uh, Again, it's going to be a a tough time to bring it back. And you've heard me say this over and over and over. Why eliminate the USC Trojan Clubs? Why? What was the purpose of that? What was the purpose of San Gabriel Trojan Club, San Fernando Trojan Club, San Diego Trojan Club? What was the purpose of eliminating those people getting together because they want to be, they have the pride in whatever they raise in money, give it to the athletes? But what was that all about? These are the things people talk about that maybe a lot of you don't know that's happened during this recent administration. Or, you know, the new president didn't want to live in San Marino at this beautiful home that they have to sell. She want to live in Santa Monica. Well, hell, if you're going to be the president, if it's good enough for Sample and all these other people, why can't it be good enough for you? We should be able to get any president to be president of USC. I mean, that's like the ultimate. and That's the way you look at it. I, I don't think you search out for getting somebody who maybe was let go somewhere else. And I don't even know this lady, okay? But I haven't been impressed with what she's done. And I can tell you that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's just my opinion. Maybe all of you have been impressed. If you are, call in, please, and tell me what you've done. And I'll say, you're right. You're right. You're right. I apologize. <laughs> but I don't see her in anything. I don't see her talking about, we need a football team. It's important for this university. Tell me, have you ever heard that? She didn't even show up like I just told you Saturday when Carson Palmer was there uh, to be recognized through going in the college football hall thing. Yeah. So what indication does that give me? I don't know. I don't know if others noticed that, but I do.
1: All right, Coach, we got a lot left, so we'll try to get through these a little quicker. All right, uh, all right, I'm <laughs> sorry. You're going on your rant. That's okay. Our, our buddy Jones says, Ryan and Coach Hyde, I am not surprised by the results of Saturday's game. Uh, this descent into the depths of despair has been years in the making. Of course, the previous administration started it, but it was the myopic decision-making and bad uh, economic policy to keep Helton after Bone was hired. We have all agreed, except USC, that you can't rearrange the deck chairs without changing the leader it's futile and you end up bleeding even more money i know bone is an optimist and he's doing the best he can uh, given the edict he was probably given at the beginning of his tenure but if usc was truly a student athlete centered as they say they are helton would have been gone two years ago and these young men wouldn't be suffering their humiliating defeats like they are if we feel this so deeply can you imagine how they feel uh, this team needs the coaches to really step up right now. The administration administration let them down. The coaches must not. From Joan.
2: Well, Joan, I think we just touched on that, so I don't want to rant and rave on that. I think it was uh you know it's 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 important to USC to have the top football program, and they allowed it to just continue to. Uh, dwindle away and use the excuse we can't afford it. He's got a $5 million contract and this and that. Well, that's a hogwash, okay? I mean, uh, you got the money. To, if it's important to you, you've got the money, okay? And nothing against Clay Helton. I, I think he's the smartest man in the world. I would have never resigned. He's walking away with 20 or $30 million. Congratulations to him. What about the people that hired him, uh, you know? Or put him in that type of position. But if you make a mistake, if you make a personal a personnel mistake, do you allow it to continue? You stop. You change it. And they did not do that. So whose responsibility is that?
1: Yeah. Uh, our buddy John Abrea, who came out to the tailgate uh, with his lovely wife, I, it was her first USC game, so that's cool. But he said, uh, Ryan, coach. No need to rehash the Utah game. It's the same song over and over again. I did find it uh, ironic that the highlight reel for Carson Palmer before the game featured several shots of him rolling out of the pocket to hit receivers downfield. What a concept. But I have a question about the defense for coach. Do you think the targeting rule and the way it's being enforced has eliminated the true strong safety position? I miss USC having that guy to make receivers think twice about catching a ball. John Embrea.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, whole uh, <clears throat> officiating uh, of the game of football is really changed to where the offense has the advantage. Um, it's very difficult to play defense. It's very difficult to play in the secondary, or be a linebacker, or make a tackle today when you uh, are thinking about now. I got to properly wrap, wrap my arms up. I can't hit this guy this way. I've got to be very careful, or I'm going to be thrown out of the game. And you can't play with the same energy level, I don't think, on a tackle when you're thinking about how you have to tackle. I think that uh, that it's. Uh, uh, I think that it should be uh, watched, and uh, any type of dirty type of hit should be really uh, monitored and uh, penalized. But when you see two people coming together, and you see that the offensive guy is lowering his body at the same time that the defensive guy did not aim for that area and they do collide Then it's sort of a neutral type of collision but it always goes to the offensive side that the defensive guy was targeting but the offensive guy was trying to get the extra yard so i'm supposed to let him have it and then i'm supposed to alter my angle to allow him to have it i think it's a very difficult rule and i think that I think there's too much penalty to the rule unless it's a nasty type of hit that was purposely done to injure somebody. And I think the NCAA has got to look at this. I think it puts the defensive side of the football really at a disadvantage. It really does. It's changed the game. You see a lot of more high scores. Look at the scores this past weekend. 50s, 40s, 50s. This and that because of a lot of the rule changes have been really to the advantage for the offense. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think that that is part of it and I, I don't like it, uh, but I think it should be changed. And, uh, I think that a lot of young men are being punished, uh, when it wasn't a deliberate type of act. It was something that just was just part of the play.
1: Yeah. So to the moment thing. It's, yeah. I don't like the, the players getting kicked out for that either. Um, we got a voicemail. Here we go. Hey podcast trick from Vista.
4: You know, I'm really disgusted in how we're playing. No sense of urgency. Um, we're sincerely getting out coached. And the one thing I understand is that you guys keep talking about the lack of bulk in the middle. Well, if I'm Orlando and I've got a lack of a big studly nose guard, then I, maybe I run a four down lineman to offset that. I mean, you got to run with what you got. And if you don't have that stud in the middle, you don't, you don't keep running somebody out there just because that's what you think will work. I mean, you got to make adjustments and sometimes you're going to have to, you're going to have to change the way things are done based on your personnel. And when it comes to, and I'm also concerned about the offensive line. I mean, we're, we're not recruiting well. We can't get guys to come here. I mean, what is going on with the offensive line? I don't think we've had any five star in a while and we had two guys that were drafted in the first round. But since then, it looks like we're not going to have anybody drafted in the offensive line this year. But in order to protect the quarterback and have good runs, you need a, a, a dominant offensive line, and right now we don't have that at all. So I wonder what you can you guys think about that. Thanks a lot. Bye.
2: Well, um, I think you're right. Uh, you, you know, but the, the, what happens in the trenches when the war, the, you have a lot of battles, but the, the war is won in the uh, – offensive, defensive line of scrimmage and where you play it and how aggressive you are and that part of the football and who the tough guys are and who aren't and who are the guys that are not afraid to uh, take the beaches uh, and lay on the barbed wire. I mean, that's where I used to coach and explain it. Are you going to be one of those guys? Are you going to be one of the guys on the field with binoculars in back, you know, watching the, watching what's happening? So, you know, you have to, coach with that type of atmosphere you have to have that personality in your in your voice and the kids want to play for you that way and you have to recruit those type of athletes and i think athletes like to play for that type of coach and i think they like to know what their responsibilities are and what's expected of them and they have to have the ability to do it And if you have all of the above, you've got a chance. If you don't have the ability to do it, you can yell and scream and do everything you want all day. And then again, you've got to have the system to assist those players to be able to accomplish their goals by having a certain type of philosophy offensively where they can attempt to uh, have an advantage over the defensive guy because they know the play and the defensive guy doesn't know the play. And on the defensive side of the football, you don't care if you know the player or not, you're going to strike a blow and you're going to run to the football. And that's what we always used to say, just end up at the football. Just strike a blow and get to the football. So it it all comes to personnel and having great coaches and great players. It's all a combination. A great coach isn't anything without a great player, and a great player isn't anything without a great coach. Just like a great horse isn't any good without a great jockey. It just goes along like that in everything you do in life. So uh, that's the best way to answer that.
1: We got our buddy, Sir Eric of Troy, sent a text message. Uh, He said, given the recent trend and the Alabama loss, is Clay Helton headed south to Tuscaloosa to be Nick Saban's new offensive coordinator and then another head coaching gig at another Power 5 school just as the last two USC coaches did before him? Ha-ha, but seriously, do you think Helton will try to coach again somewhere or will he be satisfied with a quadrillion dollars Lin Swan guaranteed him and just ride off into the sunset with it. Thanks again and fight on Sir Eric of Troy.
2: Well, you know, Clay Helton sort of reminds me of a guy, and I don't know him that personally except for talking with him a couple times. He reminds me of the type of person that's a good person that would be happy doing anything, being around kids. He just, uh, I think he enjoys that. He'd be a great uh, minister. He'd be a great... Uh, school principal, I think he'd be awesome administrator as far as in a in a community college or places where he likes to talk to people and parents and would support a great athletic program because he knows what how important it really is. Does he need to coach again? No, he doesn't need to coach again. Uh, does he need to go and uh, rehab? I call it the rehabbing it. Alabama, when a coach gets fired, he goes down there to rehab. When you're a young coach, you go down to rehab so that somebody else will hire you and you get another opportunity. And if you work with the, the genius himself, and he is, when I say that he is, and learn the way he does it, you get another chance. And most of them always do. Happens every year. But I, Coach Clay Elton doesn't remind me of that type of person. He's a good person. I think he'd be a tremendous administrator, and I think kids like him, people like him. They like to talk to him, and I think he'd be great in the public area, that type of position, rather than being a head football coach.
1: Yeah, I think um, what I was told he would want to coach again, the problem is like Saban brought in Kiffin and Sark because, well, I mean, they were down, but they also were known for something as being you know, excellent play callers, Clayton was never like the play caller when he was the offensive coordinator. Uh, He just, he was never known as like a great quarterback's coach. He was never like a great offensive coordinator. So I don't think Saban would bring him in for something like that. He'll get a job somewhere. um, But it's not, I don't think it's going to be with Alabama, but uh, we got our buddy, Sergeant Strong. Uh, He says, well, I must say as bad as this loss to Utah is. It's refreshing knowing that next season USC will be led by a new coach, a new culture, a new look. I know it was going to be a kind of a busy year because Coach Dante Williams wouldn't be able to fix the six years of issues that's plagued USC under the Helton era. But I must say that our offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator have also been part of the issue. I feel Keaton Slovis is although good at times, he's just a very predictable quarterback. What do you guys think? Thanks, you guys, for all you do and your current uh, consistent updates on the team from Sergeant Strong. Did you? I didn't even realize this, Coach. We were doing the uh, show last night. Tunnel Vision. Keen was threw for four hundred yards the game. Did you? I mean, I didn't even know that.
2: No, he did. He did. He threw for a lot of yards, and he's a good kid. I really do. I think he's a good kid, and you know, like he's in a difficult situation. He's doing it the most difficult uh, way to do it. It's why just standing back there, you know, and not really given the opportunity to uh, be as good as he could be. I mean, he's not the physical type of quarterback. If you notice, everybody that USC played in most situations, the quarterback ran the football. You saw the quarterback from Utah run the power right off tackle, you know, and not be afraid to get hit or anything. Uh, But, you know, he could be tougher than what he is because you, you allow a kid to grow into that. You mature into that where your body can conditioned itself to, to run the football and not be scared to run the football. And you can slide and you can do the things and that, uh, that people have, you know, built confidence into a kid. You know, Dart does it, and he'd be real good at that. I think Keaton would be too. I really do. But that's not part of their philosophy as far as any way of stretching the defense, no matter in any way. I mean, they don't stretch the defense. They don't give the offense a chance. And the uh, defense is uh, hurt by that. You can see it on the defense. Uh, people are talking about the number of points that have been scored on him, and they're all scored on him the same way. You know, basically teams come in and rush against him. So there's a reason for that. So, you know, I think he's a good kid, but he's not giving uh, – really, if you look at him, you know, people say he's not as good as he used to be. He's not as good. Well, you know, he's – it's been hard to get better when everybody knows what you're going to do. How do you get better when somebody already knows what you're going to do and where your bread and butter is? So yeah. it's very difficult.
1: We got uh, Mark from the Inland Empire. He says, everyone keeps saying that they need to play. this team needs to play up to its potential. I think maybe they are playing up to their potential. Has anyone ever thought that maybe the players themselves simply are just not as good as advertised? Because I've watched game after game over and over. And a lot of these four and five star athletes are getting beat one on one time after time. The brand doesn't win football games, the coaches and players do. I just think both are average. Am I off base in this? Hope to hear your thoughts. My dad and I loved watching your teams play hard notes, disciplined football, and then watch Coach Tarkanian coach basketball at UNLV. Thanks again, Mark and the IE.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, I tell you, uh, you got to have a lot of great players, and you got to put them in a position where they can play and you can't just always rely on one player. You gotta have all players. Players are the name of the game. That's why I said, I'd always rather be a college coach and a pro coach because I got 25 first round draft choices every year. If I'm a great recruiter, I can go out and get 25 first round draft choices. If I'm in the pros, I only can get one. So I love to recruit, I love to have players, and I love to surround myself with players and great coaches and uh, then manage it and uh, I was a a coach I, I and I think it's always helped I coach on the high school level I coach on the community college level I was an assistant coach on the four year level I was a head coach on the community college level and then a head coach in division 1 and I think when you when you come up that way you, you have the opportunity of working with everybody And understanding the problems that are on all levels and you see exactly how you can form your philosophy of where you engage on the coaches you worked with on all levels, the players you coach with on all levels, the different personalities, the parents on all levels. I think it's very important. Today, a lot of coaches don't have that opportunity. Most of them, you know, start right at the college level. So they really never have the foundation or the backbone of what football is all about it completely. So, you know, that that's just my philosophy, and you don't see that happening. I used to love to promote a high school football coach on my staff. Oh, man, that helped, the whole, helped my recruiting, and everybody was the high school coaches knew that I cared about them, and if they had a great team, or did things right, and gave me some great players, there's a possibility he might be on my staff, no matter where I was, and whatever, and gave them an opportunity, too, but that doesn't come about as much now as it used to be the whole philosophy has changed I mean you've got um, coaches kids now coaching and offensive coordinators and their kids what have their kids really done and they all of a sudden you know if I'm a coach I'm saying oh man I mean that's the coach's son is it fair or not fair uh, I don't I don't know uh, I if I had a kid I'd want him to coach on his own and and make it that way and and work for someone else. I'd recommend it for somebody else if it was worth a damn, but I wouldn't recommend it if it wasn't worth the damn. But, uh, you know, that's that's where it is. Yeah.
1: Um, real quick with that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people would like USC's roster, so I don't think you can just look at the team and say they're not talented. They are talented. Uh, a lot of it's development, too, That and that's, you know – if the players aren't doing as well, some of it is just they've been coached poorly for the last few years too. So, I, oh, part oh, let
2: me let me react to that too, Ryan. And I tell you what, they've made a lot of mistakes too. Okay, let me put it to you that way too. They made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, they sure. haven't. They haven't recruited the caliber of players that should be at USC.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's not as talented as it used to be, but they were definitely more talented than teams that they've got blown out by. So.
2: Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's not the caliber of player that used to hang out in the on the on Howard Jones Field. I want you to know that.
1: All right, uh, here's a last voicemail for you, Coach.
0: Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. This call is for Ryan and the coach. I want you guys to tell me what we should do with Maximus Gibbs, the ginormous lineman out of Bosco, Texas. No? St. John Bosco, forgive me. I'm sure he's been coached well while he's there. He started all the time. And like I said, he is gigantic. Backed by Snoop Dogg, being trained, uh, by lineman coaches now on, on, uh, you know, the private side. He's, the question is his weight and his size. He's so big. Are they gonna, Try to trim him down, or what are they gonna do? Because uh, like Harvey Hyde likes to put that big guy that scares you to come off the bus first. I don't think this guy could get through the door. Curtis from Moreno Valley.
2: <laughs> Curtis, you've been listening for a long time. You're exactly right. Uh, I tell, you, I like this kid. Uh, I I think he's a great kid. And remember, he's a, got a big body, but he's a kid. Okay. And, and he needs to mature. And uh, remember, all his life he came up, you're bigger than him. Leave him alone. Don't quit picking on this guy. I mean, you're bigger than these guys. All the way through his life, he's been bigger than everybody, so don't pick on these guys in school or elementary school or wherever he was. So, you know, he probably doesn't have that mean streak in him as a bully or any of that. But he needs to grow up. He needs to go into his body. He needs to really, you know, train a little bit more and get himself in shape a little bit more. It's the best idea that was a redshirt, the kid. And I watched him play in high school. He was a guard, and he did a lot of great screen blocking, and he moved better, and I thought he could move at that size. I really I watched him pull and do some things that I would never believe a guy this big could do in size-wise, but he needs to firm up. He needs to become a man, Okay. He's a big kid. He needs to become a man. And gotta, they've got to encourage him. And they can't uh, put him in a position where he can't be successful. And uh, And time will tell. But I like the kid. Uh, I did, never met him. But I can tell I like the kid, okay? So you've just got to make sure that you did not make a mistake on him, that he has the right attitude, that he wants to be a great player. And uh, you help him become that, what he wants to be.
1: All right, Coach. Great stuff. Um, got a bye week this week. So uh, we'll be back next week. We can do our show. Uh, I don't think Keely and I will be doing a podcast this week. And we won't have a tunnel vision on Thursday, potentially on Sunday, if there's some kind of news and notes and stuff going on. But, Coach, as always, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on get getting your insights. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
2: And thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody out there, for all your great questions. Have a great week. Enjoy the bye. and uh, we'll talk to you if it's not next week. It's the week after that. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, that's... listen, I want to let me just cross promote for a moment. Yeah. Hey, on Sunday mornings, I do a show on AM 830. If you're locally here in Los Angeles, you can listen to Chuck Hayes and I uh, from 10 to 11. Or you can just go into uh, – or go to my, uh, my my webpage, as you mentioned earlier, harveyhide.com, harveyhyde.com, and you'll get all my shows and everything. Okay, buddy, thank you for letting me say that.
1: Sure thing, Coach, and hope you guys all enjoy the show. We will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting,
4: and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the
1: manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast,
1: presented by
0: uscfootball.com.